Welcome to 2022. Somewhere along Facebook, I heard 2022. I said, please no. It is 2022, brand new year. We are starting on the way in, or after. if I found you afterwards, you should have gotten one of these little gifts. This is yours. You can put your name in it, take it home with you, but you should bring it back or whatever. But it's your gift. You can have it. It's a journal of the Gospel of Matthew. So scripture on one side and space for you to be with Christ in the journal margins in between. There are some devotional thoughts along the way and some other resources in it. We are going to use it through the course of our new series. We are preaching on the Sermon on the Mount until Lent. <laughs> of course, I probably could do it until like next Advent if I tried. But we're going to spend some time in the Sermon on the Mount. I'll probably go a little fast in certain sections or whatever. But each Sunday, I will give you a journal thought to you work on this week or in your journal time during the week. So this is a tool for you. We're going to be on a journey together through the Sermon on the Mount. And this, yes, it's almost like this is homework kind of thing. But it's, it's a tool to help you with your personal walk with Jesus between Sundays is the intent. And it'll reinforce what we're talking about on Sunday morning. It is. It is January 2nd, 2022. And so... If there is a gem in your social feed, it is begging you to come back and offering you all types of wonderful discounts and blessings because they, January is Black Friday for athletic centers. You know what I mean? Everybody has made their New Year's resolution to lose some weight, to join a gym, and to exercise, and they will gladly lock you into contract until Jesus comes back to help you with that goal that you'll fail on by February. Right? I mean, have you made that promise? I'm going to lose 20 pounds this year. I'm joining a gym tomorrow. And by February, you're like, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm going to eat. <laughs> you're like, we've all made those commitments. We've all made those resolutions. The gyms will tell you, here are all the blessings of membership. Here's all the things you get if you will join. If you will be a member of our special club, you'll get all these benefits. You'll look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Whatever it is, all your physical dreams will come true if you just send us 50 bucks under contract for five years, you know, like a car, <laughs> right? So they're making all these promises, but you have to join. And they call their people that are there members, and they gladly collect that deduction from your checking account every month, whether you go work out or not. Whether you actually benefit from the membership or not, if you are a member, and membership you're old enough to remember this slogan from TV commercials, membership has its privileges, okay? Used to be a credit card ad, membership has its privileges. And that is really the perspective we're going to put on the Sermon on the Mount. Because what Jesus does is he starts preaching about kingdom citizenship and what it means to be a person who is in the kingdom of God. And the Sermon on the Mount is an elaboration of what the benefits, the blessings, blessed be, what the blessings of membership are and what the expectations of membership are is essentially the Sermon on the Mount. I just pulled the next 10 weeks so you can sit at home on your couch. But you get the idea. Is this idea that we are becoming members of the kingdom of God and what they look like. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus says this. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Matthew's gospel, that is the beginning of his public ministry. That is the tagline from Jesus' first messages to his people. He says, repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That ought to sound vaguely familiar, especially as you start journaling through Matthew in your wonderful new journal. You'll notice that Jesus stole a line from a guy named John the Baptist. Did I just say Jesus stole? He quotes him. Listen to this. This is Matthew 3, 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Only that time it's John the Baptist. So Jesus' first sermon message is the same message that John the Baptist has been saying. It is time to turn from your old ways because the kingdom of God has come near. Both of them are inviting the people of God in that day to join the kingdom of God, to become citizens of the kingdom of God, to become members without an autodraft, right? To join in what it means to be a child of God and then you get to chapter 5, actually verse 4, actually 4, verse 23. I almost got ahead of myself. Matthew 4, 23 to 25 says this, Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So it says, his first message is, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Then in verse 23 he says, His ministry goes around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Here are the benefits. Here is the blessings. The gospel is that you will have kingdom citizenship. And then it was well, not the actual quotes. Let me get there. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria. And they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paral paralytics, Paralytics? Is that how you say that? Anyway, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So Jesus has entered into public ministry in Matthew's gospel. He's begun to proclaim for people to repent, to turn from the old, to turn from 21, 2021, and embrace 2022. A new thing has started. The kingdom has come near Repent and turn toward the kingdom. And then he, Matthew kind of gives a little summary of all the miraculous works that Jesus is doing at the beginning of his ministry. And if you'll notice, they're all healing and restor restorative miracles. Paralysis, epileptic, epileptic seizures, disease. He's healing. He's saying the kingdom of God has come near I've begun the work, and he's backing that proclamation by restorative miracles. This is the, not the way the world is supposed to be. You're not supposed to be paralyzed. You're not supposed to be demon-possessed. You're not supposed to be dealing with those afflictions. Let me reverse the effects of that fall. We've started a new thing. The kingdom of God is here. And in the kingdom of God, there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more disease, and to back that claim up, let me make this stuff go away. And so his miracles are restorative. They're healing at the beginning of his ministry. He's like, look, I'm saying things, I'm making all things new. I'm making all things new. And that's how he summarizes it. And then he launches, Matthew launches into recording Jesus' big sermon. After he proclaims the good news of the kingdom and starts to change everything, Jesus says this. The crowd started to follow him from beyond, and when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountains, went up the mountain after, the, after that, and sat down. His disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were here before you. So Jesus launches into this massive sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, the leading passage, Matthew gives you the format. He goes up on the mountain and sits down and starts to teach. And then he says, I have called you to repentance. I have called you to join. The, I proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Now here is what kingdom of God people look like. Because if you're in the, in the kingdom, then you have the blessings of membership. Membership has its privileges. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. So he goes off and he starts to give these blessings of what it means. And, what, and along with those blessings is a promise. But what's really interesting about the location of this sermon is he's going up onto a mountain, it says, right? Now, a good Jewish person would be like, wait, Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God and he's going up onto a mountain and telling us how a kingdom member ought to live. A good Jewish person would go, this sounds like another guy who went up on a mountain and came down with a proclamation of how we're to live called the Ten Commandments. So in the old way of doing things, keep these rules and you're in, which are impossible. Should we review the Ten Commandments? They're impossible. You're going to fail every day, literally. And then in the New Testament, and Jesus is launching his public ministry in Matthew, what does he do? He goes up onto a mountain and says, here's my ten. Not really ten. But here's my blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. In other words, it starts to sound a little bit like a prescription for how we ought to live. Now, if you read those that way, anybody else match up to those? It's a little like the Ten Commandments, right? Blessed are those who always keep the peace and love their enemies. <laughs> Blessed are those who are poor in spirit and put God first. Blessed are those who mourn. How is that a prescription for life? Give me some of that. I want to mourn all the days of my life and then be blessed. That's not what it means, and so I want to kind of put a little spin on that. So you've got Jesus going, hey, the kingdom of God is near. You will be blessed if you're a part of it. I am the other passages. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Membership is through me. And kingdom members will sound and look like these verses. The beatitude is a blessing. The beatitudes that we have are a blessing and a promise. You catch that? It's like, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You're blessed if this is you. Here's the promise if you're that person. Right? So that makes it a beatitude. Now, if you joined the kingdom by repenting, then these beatitudes start to make sense. If you're a person who has acknowledged that you haven't got it all figured out, that you have sinned, that you need to repent and to turn and to become more like what God would want you to be, then things like poor in spirit make sense. 
Here's why. There's, two really, there's really two sections to these Beatitudes. This backs up the Moses theory, too, a little bit. The first three, we just came, th- we just came through Christmas, right? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The first three are peace with God and how a kingdom member has peace with God. And the second set of three are how we have peace with each other. First four commandments deal with our relationship with God. The second six deal with our relationships with each other. Don't lie, don't steal. No other gods before me. So it's a little, when I say this is like him saying, hey, here's how we're remaking the new covenant. This is what he's really talking about, right? And you'll see that as we get further into the sermon, he starts saying things like, you've heard it said, but I say. He's rewriting, he's not doing away with the law, but he is putting his kingdom citizenship spin on how we relate to God and to each other. What is the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, right? And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And the Beatitudes have that same pattern to them. So let's, deal, let's delve into them. By the way, I could have done a whole sermon series on the Beatitudes, but we're not going to do that. So we can always come back to them later. But we are going to do kind of a little bullet point deep dive into these this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This particular first one is about spiritual authenticity. It's not, not, it's not I, blessed because I'm like depressed and poor in spirit. It is, I have repented. I have owned up to the fact that I, I am not God. There is a God and it's not me, right? I, I cannot get there on my own. I'm not perfect. I need a savior. It is a spiritual poverty that says, I can't do this. I can't save myself. So the very first blessing of membership, if you will, is blessed are those who are spiritually genuine and recognize who they are in God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you've joined by repenting and placing your faith in God, you are spiritually poor because you're not all about your own spiritual accomplishments. Look how righteous I am. Sound familiar to the people Jesus talked to in those days? The Pharisees maybe? Like... If you're poor in spirit, you acknowledge that you need God for salvation. Wait, this isn't a, this isn't, it is an attitude, it is an understanding, it is an awareness, but it is not a to-do list. Are you with me? It is an attitude of heart in how I make peace with God. How do I make peace with God? By becoming less so that He's more. By making less of my own abilities and my own spiritual pathway to make more of God what God does inside of my heart. I'm poor in spirit so that God can be great inside of me. And the promise that goes with that blessing is you will have the kingdom of heaven. It's in that spiritual poverty we find blessing. Number four, verse four, sorry. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. If you've ever read these, this is like the most baffling one, right? hey, I get to be a follower of Jesus. That means I get blessed if I am sorrowful. On its face, that's what it sounds like. But remember, I said these first three are about our relationship with God. And so what I think Jesus is saying when he says, blessed are those who mourn, yes, you will be comforted if you happen to be in mourning over somebody you lose. I think that promise is valid, and I think that's there. But I think the context of this Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about mourning sin. 
which is something we don't do, by the way. Oops, I did it again. Pray my prayer, go on about my life. Oops, I did it again. Pray. To really repent, to really become a kingdom member, to be a kingdom member, means to feel genuine sorrow over our sin and to mourn that it's still part of our life. If I'm in peace with God, then when I sin, it will be sorrowful for me to sin. I will recognize it and go, this is not who I want to be. I need to put that, how does Paul put it? Put sin to death, right? Put your old life to death. Put on the new. To literally, that needs to die in me so that I can live. And when something dies, we should, why do we should we mourn sin? One, it's a genuine attitude of repentance, not just like, a, oops, forgive me, I'm going to do it again. It's a genuine heartfelt, I regret that I did this, that's trying to lay it aside and turn away from it. It's different from apologizing, right? Sorry, I goofed again, God. <laughs> you know, where's Kermit the Frog getting into this sermon? I don't know. But like, I apologize, God, I slipped up again, versus I am deeply mournful that I'm still not who you've called me to be. Help me to not do it again. Hear the difference in the attitude? And if I'm putting to death the old things, then of course I would mourn them. I would say goodbye to them. I would try to put them behind me. Our heart ought to break over sin that's still present in our life. Because if we're a kingdom member and we're striving to be the way God's called us to be, that is not a part of it. And what does he say? What's the promise that goes with that blessing? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What will be comforting to someone who struggles with sin? Grace? Forgiveness? That comes from what? Repentance? You see how his message, repent for the kingdom of God is near or at hand, is a setup for this whole list of blessings. If I am repenting of sin, if I am putting to death the old, if I'm trying to turn away from sin, it's a struggle. Why would we, I meant to ask, finish this sentence a minute ago, why would we mourn over sin? Anybody do sins they don't want to do? Like we do stuff because we like to do stuff that's wrong. The reason we sin is because for the most part, it, it, it's appealing. Let's just be honest, right? Sins, certain sins are appealing to us. We do them because we want them. The sinful side of us goes, I really want that. Greed, lust, even anger, even things like anger where I'm mad at so-and-so because they wronged me and I'm going to take revenge and I'm going to do all this stuff still has a psychological release to it that's appealing to us. And so when we let go of things that we can... We, have, we all have these little pet sins that stay with us forever. We're just not really ready to give, really give them up. Can we be a Christian and kind of hang on to them? Kind of pet sin that follows us around everywhere. And to let go of it means it has to literally die to us. And we should mourn and grieve the loss of something we wanted. Getting rid of sin in our life is to say, look, I wanted this, but I acknowledge it's not part of being in the kingdom. So it needs to die, and I'm going to grieve the fact it's no longer part of my life because my heart really wanted it, but I know I'm not supposed to. 
And so it's this process of putting to death the old and then literally mourning it, giving it its peace, putting it to rest, putting it behind you that gets sin out of our life. It's not just like, oops, pray my prayer, hope I'll do better next time, is not, is not genuine repentance. When somebody says, I'm sorry, you know they're not sorry, they're sorry they got caught. Right? When your kid breaks another vase and, you're like, and they're like, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, you're sorry you got caught. We do that with God a lot. We're like, God, I'm sorry I sinned. I don't want to do it again next week, but I'm sorry I did it this week. He's looking for a kingdom. Kingdom members are genuinely sorrowful over sin. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Kingdom citizens are not self-important, arrogant tyrants. They're not the people who, look, look what I did for Jesus. Oh, it's all about me. You know, that's not a kingdom citizen. It's not. A kingdom citizen is what? They're a humble servant. We serve in the kingdom of God. Paul called himself a slave to Jesus. Literally. I am now a slave to Christ. That's how he described himself. The meek are humble in spirit. Kingdom members who are meek are humble. They know they're not God. There's a God and it's not them. <laughs> they can't get there on their own efforts and they don't try to toot their own horn. They're humble servants of what God's called them to do. Which is counter to everything the world tells us, right? How big is your investment account? How big is your empire? How big is your business that you started? How big is your resume? How awesome is your resume? That's what the world sells us. And Jesus says, our kingdom is counterculture to that. We are humble servants of the world. And if you're meek and you are humble, you will inherit what? This is the irony of this. The world says, build your kingdom. Person with the most toys wins. Jesus says, be meek, be humble. And the promise is, you will inherit everything they're trying to build. It says, you will inherit the earth. Wait, wait, wait. By being a servant, I'll get what they're fighting and scrapping to obtain. Yes. Because who's the earth going to be left to? Citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, does that mean as a Christian you're not allowed to build a career and all that stuff? Of course not. But if it's your idol, you got a problem. Whole other sermon series, right? Or if it makes you not humble, you've got an issue. Look how awesome my 401k is, you know, whatever. Like, you've got to be about the kingdom. We'll get to this in Matthew later, but seek first the kingdom of Charlie? No, that's not what it says. Seek first the kingdom of God, right? And the rest of that verse is what? All these things will be added to you. It's another way of saying, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Kingdom citizens hunger and seek to live the way God has called them to live. That's another way of saying that verse. Kingdom citizens want to do what God wants them to do. But they'll hunger for it. There's a desire for it. Remember, these first few are about our relationship with God and how a kingdom citizen relates to God and has peace with God, right? If I want what God's want, God wants, my heart is in alignment with God. Think about that. 
If I want what God wants, then my heart is in alignment with God. If I want what I want, God and I are, could be potentially at opposite views, right? Hopefully, what you really want in life does align with what God wants you to have in life. See what I mean? But if you want what God wants, the alignment will be there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So if you desire what God wants, this I'm pre-preaching other sermons, but, God, but Matthew, in Matthew he promises, if you ask for anything, you will receive it. Right? Jesus makes that promise. It's another one of those passages where you go, was Jesus serious about that one? Because that would be really cool. If I ask for what God wants, guess what God's going to give me? What I want, but also what He wants. It's an alignment thing too. If I want what God wants, He's of course going to give me what I want. I want a million dollars. I can't trust you with that. You know, like, but if you, I want what God. But if I want what God wants, a humble spirit to help make disciples, to whatever, be generous to be kind, to be compassionate. If I want those things, the promise is God will fulfill those desires in your heart. So that's the first half, so to speak, right? That's how we make peace with God. Kingdom citizens have these things about them. This is not a checklist. It's a heart that is humble before God, spiritually poor before God, humble in front of the world, who doesn't desire things other than what God wants. That's not a to-do list you can do like on Friday. It's something that is cultivated in your heart by the Holy Spirit at work in your life if you have repented because the kingdom of heaven is near. Do you see how that setup sets this relationship with God up? I'm not in charge. I belong to you. Here's the things you're doing in my heart. The second half, verse 7, peace with others. The first one's right on the nose. I really don't have a lot to say about it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. <laughs> How do you make peace with others without being merciful? If somebody is, if I'm merciful to somebody else, they will be merciful in return. Would they not? Hopefully. It'll get reciprocated. But of course, it'll be peacemaking between me and somebody else for me to be merciful towards them. But the promise of receiving mercy is not just their reciprocation, is it? If I'm merciful to somebody else, God is merciful toward me. Jesus told his followers, to the degree that you forgive others, God will forgive you. So if you're carrying that grudge and not forgiving, that's what you're receiving from God. So the blessing is, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, when you read this one, this is another one of those you go, I'm not pure in heart, <laughs> right? I'm just not. It's a struggle. What does pure in heart mean? Yikes. I'm not pure in heart. It sounds impossible, but pure in heart is an internal transformation versus artificial compliance. If I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, I'm genuinely trying to change what's in here, not only towards God, but towards the way I relate to other people. But this is not, but it's an internally, I genuinely love other people, not I got to be nice to that person because I got to be nice to that person. That's the kingdom membership. The kingdom membership is love your enemies as yourself. Love your neighbor. 
genuinely love them, not like go through the motions and be nice to them. Jesus railed against this where the Pharisees were concerned, right? You preach this and you're a... He, man, he did not pull punches with the Pharisees. You're a whitewashed tomb on the outside and you're like dead on the inside. What does that mean? On the outside, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day looked perfect. They would tell people... They, one of them told Jesus, I've kept all the Ten Commandments. Whoa, okay. Like to the, and to the outside world, they did. We did this when we did the Ten Commandments. Anybody kill anybody? You know what I mean? <laughs> I've kept that one until Jesus goes, mm, if you hate somebody, oh, man. You know what I mean? Like to the outside world, I'm in compliance with thou shalt not murder. <laughs> I'm not going to kill them. I do hate them. Whoops. What's going on on the inside is what matters. Because blessed are the pure in heart, their intentions toward others, for they will see God. A genuine love toward others and charity toward others, not superficial going through the motions. God, help my heart to break for those that you bring me in contact with. For real. Not just, okay, I'll do it, but I'm mad on the inside still. But a heartfelt desire and care for other people, of course, will bring peace, right? Number nine is on the nose. Blessed are the peacemakers. This has to do with peace with others, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, this is more than I'm just going to stay out of the fight. Blessed are peacemakers. This is not passivity. This is not I'm just now going to cause any conflict and therefore I'm a God person. Although that's true, that's cool. Peacemakers pursue reconciliation and peace with others actively. They seek to resolve conflict. They don't, let con they don't let differences between each other, you know, go like bad bread in a college refrigerator. You know what I mean? Like they, <laughs> they seek out the problem and bring peace to a set of situations. Two people that you know they're in conflict with each other, a peacemaker would help to resolve the conflict. It's not a, I'm a doormat. It is, I am proactively a kingdom member who is trying to bring the peace of God to earth now. I'm going to be all about it, not just passive. And the number 10, you always love when Jesus said, he's like, hey, this is all going to be awesome. Ben members, benefits of being a member. One of the benefits is persecution. Yes. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You would think that if I am humble, merciful, charitable, patient, all of these things, if I'm that kind of kingdom member, that the world would not hate me. One would think. Until Jesus gets to verse 10 and goes, blessed are those of you that are persecuted for living the way I've called you to live. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is not persecution because you are a Christian. This is being persecuted for living in the way that you are supposed to that brings great offense to those who don't know God. One of the fun parts about being a pastor is if you're sitting in like on an airplane or something, like, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. And for the last 10 minutes, they've been like dropping expletives all over the place. And suddenly they go, oh, oops, sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, you're a pastor? Like then they suddenly feel guilty because of 
who I am, like sitting there, and they're like, oh my goodness. Or if they just happen to slip in front of me, they go, sorry, preacher. I mean, I've heard that happen before too, you know what I mean? Like they'll drop a little inappropriate word, go, oh, sorry, preacher. My presence makes them go, oops. Okay? If we're kingdom citizens and we're being merciful and we're being humble and we're being charitable and we're living in the way God has called us to live, for some people, that becomes a reminder that they're not. In such a way that they're like, they're offended. Why would we be offended by a Christian? Because you're reminded that you're not right with God. They feel guilty because they see you living right. And they get mad at you for making them feel guilty when all you did was live right. <laughs> Think about that. It's not because you're preaching. Hey, I'm not going to drink tonight. Okay. You know, like, but you are. It's okay. You know, <laughs> they're like, oh. They're mad at you because you're bringing to mind Christ, and Christ confronts who they are. At Christmas time, those who don't support Christianity or Christmas and all that stuff talk about it. We worship a fairy tale or whatever. Then why are they offended by a fairy tale? You ever thought about that? If they don't think God's real, they don't think Jesus is really God, then why do they care if we do Christmas displays? Because the sight of Christ reminds them of where they stand before God. And so Jesus makes a promise <laughs> that you will be persecuted if you live the way I've called you to live. Sign me up. Except what's the promise that goes with that beatitude? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Notice it's the same promise as the first one. Matthew ties it together nicely, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, because your inheritance is the kingdom of heaven. Book ends. In other words, if you are repentant, you will have these attitudes cultivated in your heart. And because that is where your heart belongs, that membership has privileges. You will inherit the kingdom of God. But repent because it's here. It's now. You can obtain it. Not someday when you go to be with Jesus. Now. That's the beauty. One of the things that we forget about the gospel a lot of times is it's not just now. It's, then, it's now and then. There are, these blessings are not for someday. These blessings are not for when we go to heaven. We are blessed because we belong to God and membership has its privileges. If you're mourning over sin, you will be comforted. If you are merciful, you will receive mercy, not just when you die, but now. It's all, the kingdom is already here, but it's not yet all the way full. Verses 11 and 12 is kind of worded like another beatitude, except Jesus kind of ex it basically expands on that last one. He says, Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What Jesus is saying about blessing about persecution is this. You know which side you're on if you're being persecuted. If your life is not offensive, if your life is easy, if being a Christian doesn't cost you something, then maybe you're not. But if you are, and if you're living in righteousness, the world will see it and know it, and they will persecute you because of it. 
And you can count that as a blessing because that is evidence that you belong to God. It's evidence that you are a citizen of the kingdom. Now, these are attitudes of heart. These are These are things in our life that we should look like this. And persecution will help you decide if this is you or not. Because as soon as you're persecuted for what you believe and for who you are and for how you live, you will decide whether you continue to live that way or not. Won't you? So these attitudes have to be cultivated. It's not like, oh, look, I'm now merciful because I love Jesus. Yes, but already, but not yet. We have the ability to be merciful because God's put that in our heart, but it's a practice that we have to cultivate. When we are merciful, we receive mercy. And when we practice being merciful, we become more merciful. We get better at it. But it's not an achievement thing. It is a cultivating of our heart for peace with others, oops, peace with God and with others. And we cultivate that through our practices. That is one of the reasons that you have homework. Not really. But you have a way to practice what we're talking about. To read through the, all, this is, this, by the way, this is the whole of Matthew, not just the Sermon on the Mount. But I would be guiding you through the Sermon on the Mount. You can journal at your own pace, the passages you want, however you want to do that. I'm not one of those guys like, oh, I've got to read Matthew 1 tomorrow. You and the Holy Spirit could do that stuff. But here's what I am going to do each week as we do this sermon, and I'm going to do this now too, is give you a thing to think about in your time journaling this week as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. I told you that the Beatitudes are an attitude of heart for kingdom members and that they have to be cultivated. They have to grow. They should grow. If you're becoming more like Christ, then those attributes ought to grow inside of you, who you are. So as you are journaling this week, Ask yourself this question. Which of these are clearly evident in my life? And which of these need to be cultivated? That's a really simple journal question, right? Read through Matthew 5, 1 through 12 and go, which one of Because I believe this about Beatitudes and about spiritual gifts in general. Some things come to us naturally. Spiritual practices, like journal. I'm, I'm, I know I speak on stage. I'm an introvert. This lights me up. A journal? and sit with God and pray and read the Bible and write stuff, cool, I'm down. If you're like an extrovert, you're like, I won't be able to last through the passage. I have to be with people, you know, like whatever, how your temperament works that way. But the practice, the ongoing thinking this thing through, the evaluation thought is, which of these are naturally coming to me? Some spiritual gifts come to us naturally. Some of us are naturally merciful, gracious, awesome. And you've met that person who naturally prays, right? Hey, will you pray for me with this? Yes, let's do it right now. You know, there's those people. They have that gifting. They don't have to work at it. They just do it. They're just naturally a peacemaker. You know, they're just naturally merciful. It's who they are. And for some of us, that's going to be, some of these will be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's me. Cool. Sweet. Peacemaker. Hmm. Yeah, I really do need to go make peace with so-and-so. So in other words, the journal exercise is, where am I? What might the Spirit be telling me next needs to be cultivated in my heart? And spend some time in dialogue with God about that this week. Let's pray, and then we are going to go to the table together. Gracious Heavenly Father, wonderful King, mighty Lord.
Make us poor in spirit. Make us meek. Make us your kingdom citizens. As we come to the table this morning, prepare our hearts, make us at peace with you, and empower us to be at peace with others. In Christ's name, amen.